What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to another segment of Meninge Toi. I'm your hostess, Lord have mercy, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast. Good evening. How y'all doing? I pray everyone has been doing well. Everyone has been doing great. Seems like the coronavirus pandemic may be coming to an end, but maybe that's something that just varies upon state to state. But with any further ado, I know I have a lot of passion, a lot of excitement right now but that's because i'm so excited because i have a secret well it's not a secret anymore but i have a very special guest with me drum roll introducing andre i wish i had like all the sound effects and stuff but air horn (laughs) welcome Welcome, welcome, welcome. You guys, Thank this you. is my great and special friend Andre. I want to introduce guys, I want to introduce you guys to him because we are going to have a very wonderful conversation with you all about Buddhism. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to go ahead and shout him out. So, one thing about Andre, he has his own podcast. It's called Revelation the Podcast. And this podcast is fairly new. Make sure you guys check out his most recent episode, Preserving Black Chicago, sorry, Preserving Black Chicago Online backslash KC Road Trip Recap. And you guys can find and follow his podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, and Overcast. Make sure y'all find him and follow him and listen to that episode because it's amazing. It's amazing. I love how you can hear the passion and the things that you talk about, too. I love that. Oh, thank you. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So... Now that we have our introduction out of the way, let's go ahead and get into the material. So what me, what Andre and I are going to be talking to you guys about, and please feel free to correct me because I feel like I may butcher this. Um, it's a specific school of Buddhism. It is called Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism. Did I say that correctly? So uh, Nichiren, Nichiren okay. Shoshu, yeah. Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism. I'm going to have to say that a few times so I can fully understand it. But we're just going to be talking to you guys because uh, I have I asked Andre a few questions. Just to give you guys a little background story. Andre's mom, uh, she practices Nietzsche. Can you say it again? I'm sorry. Uh, Nietzsche and Shoshu. Yeah. Nietzsche and Shoshu Buddhism. So mm-hmm. me and Andre were talking one day and he was like, hey, man, my mom's a Buddhist. Like, this would be really cool, you know. And I'm like, heck yeah, let's go ahead and set up an interview. You know, I feel like it's it's so, it's such an amazing um, opportunity to be able to have this conversation with you and to know someone who is so close and uh, whose family practices this school of Buddhism. Because I feel like that helps all of the audience members who want to find out more about Buddhism. So thank you so much, Andre, for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and being um, just a, just like an awesome example, actually, um, for all y'all listening, like Lord Have Mercy was like a huge influence in me, like starting my own thing and just like seeing her being passionate about the work that she was doing, just like inspired me to go ahead and get, and, you know, get going and, you know, and um, 
it's always good to have like, you know, good energy um, to sort of bounce ideas off of and to have that encouragement. So she's good people, y'all. So that's that's just what I want to say. And I'm like glad to be able to have this discussion and um, really express sort of um, sort of this teaching, you know, and it's and how it's it's role in my life and everything. So I'm just excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the questions. Okay. So we can bounce back and forth off of the questions since we both have them. Uh, or you could feel free to, you know, add more if you want to add more. Or, um, if there's any quotes that you want to share, feel free to jump right on in. Um, but I'll kind of ask the questions and then, you know, I'll just, you know, you know. Just let it keep flowing. Okay. For sure. So, first question. What is Nish... Can you say it one more time? Uh, Nichiren Shoshu. I need to write this down. Nichiren... Can you say it one more time? Nichiren? Nichiren Shoshu. Okay. I have it written down. Bold and yellow. So I could pronounce it correctly every time from now on <laughs> okay so what is Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism and what makes this school of Buddhism unique from others oh yeah for sure so just to get us started um I'm actually reading from a couple different um websites here um just to help me along with talking about the practice. And so just to let um, you and your listeners know, uh, one of the websites I'm looking at is um, BBC, the BBC website, um, bbc.co.uk. Um, they have a section on boot on uh, religions and you can look up Nichiren um, Buddhism on there. So that's one of the websites that I'm looking at. Um, okay. Yeah. In addition to that, there is the um, Nichiren Shoshu website. This is the Japanese website that's actually been um, translated into English. So I'm looking at that. And um, I'm sure we can, yeah, include the resources um, somewhere um, Mm -hmm. outside of the podcast, too. Um, But yeah, so Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism is a member of um, sort of what's called the Mahayana Buddhism. So you have different sects of Buddhism, just like you do um, other practices like uh, like Christianity. Um, and I'm reading from the BBC site. So Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism differs from other schools of Buddhism in that it focuses on this world and its view that is the only correct tradition. So it'll if you look up the practice, a lot of times it'll say, you know, the true Buddhism, like it, well, it, it, um, you know, believes that it's the true, um, teaching or path to enlightenment, enlightenment. And I feel like the big draw towards it is that it's, um, like a self-focused religion. Um, there's this belief that you can get individual empowerment from it and inner, transformation and in turn that's supposed to contribute to um, a better and more peaceful world um, if you've never heard of 
if you have heard of um, Buddhism or Namyo Renge Kyo, which is um, a chant that we do in the practice, uh, you might have heard it from Tina Turner. I think she's the most famous person to have uh, followed it. And it's actually mentioned in um, yeah. the movie. Yeah, autobiographical movie was what got to do with it. So um, usually when people say, you know, oh, not going to get killed, I think I've heard of that. It's probably from uh, Tina Turner. Um, yeah. So um, so this is practice is about, you know, finding a path to enlightenment. And um, just to talk about uh, one of the big things, like from my upbringing, you know, uh, maybe if you're Christian, um, one of the first things that you learn about is um, part of like the Ten Commandments, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, has that been your experience? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yep, honor thy mother and thy father. I remember crying over that one because I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would say that's been my experience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it's like one of those, um, I, I guess, like uh, ways in which the practice guides you, you know, to be a, a moral person, to be a, a conscious uh, person um, and how you treat yourself and others is, is I guess, part of the design of that. Okay. Um, one of the things from like Buddhism that, um, you know, I remember learning at an early age is was called the Ten Worlds. Um, so... Hmm. compared to other religions in afterlife you have a, a heaven and a hell right for the most part that's um that's like the idea you know if you if you live the good and wholesome life if you you know if you if you did good by yourself and others you end up in heaven and um especially if you were of you know if you were of the right faith it's you go to heaven and if not, you know, the other place. Um, so it was interesting that both hell, heaven and hell were actually a part of this thing in Buddhism, this principle in Buddhism called the Ten Worlds. Um, and you, so in this, you have the six lower worlds and the four higher worlds. And the six lower worlds are hell, hunger, animality, anger and tranquility which is uh, also um, called heaven so both hell and heaven are considered a part of the lower worlds uh, in this practice and like i can expand more on that uh, in a little bit um, the four higher worlds are the worlds of learning uh, realization and the other two principles are um a little bit more abstract or, or a little bit more um, particular to the teaching because they're called Bodhisattva and uh, Buddhahood, which, um, you know, you'd have to like learn about the practice to know about those two. Um, but I can just give a, a breakdown on, on what those are. Um, was there anything that like that struck you as I was listing those off? Um, well, I know I definitely found the, um, the separation between the 10 worlds very interesting. Uh, I know I, I wrote down the, um, learning and realization from the four higher worlds. I was going to ask you if you can say the lower worlds again. I found those to be very interesting. Mm hmm And the interesting thing is that 
these are all um, life conditions. So these are all states of being that are possible, you know, as, you know, a human being. So you don't have to, you don't have to wait to be in the afterlife to be in the world of learning or to be in the life of hell because right. these are these are you know a part of our uh lives right here on earth um so the six lower worlds hell um which um the bbc describes that uh life condition as a condition which appears when someone feels despair or desperate or anger in that sense um hunger when somebody constantly wants something um you know, greed status power perception of um perception of those things yeah that's like the world of, of hunger to be like someone else rather than accept their own life hmm. yeah. um animality this is governed by instinct and they lead somebody to prey on those more vulnerable for example, a power-hungry boss may abuse his position and treat his or her staff like slaves. Oh, um, so that's that world. Um, anger. Uh, this life condition encompasses traits of selfishness, competitiveness, and arrogance. Um, tranquility. Um, which seems a little weird to be a part of like the six lower worlds. Um, right. The BBC definition is just a calm state of life. Um, but the way I've ex been explained why um, tranquility or heaven is a part of the lower worlds is because, um, well, you don't want to be so cut off from um, self-improvement or enlightenment by being in a calm state you know what i mean like you don't want to remove yourself from the world too much to where you don't work on work on you or work to be um or work to help the community around you that's mm -hmm. always what i've got gotten from that you know um you know a, a calm state of life um you know can be good for your health and stuff like that but you have to, you know, still make sure that you're growing, you know, in a way. So that's what that's why I've got out of that, like why that was a part of the the six lower world group. Um, and then you have the four higher worlds, and those include learning, uh, and this appears when someone seeks new skills. Um, realization is a life condition based on knowledge and wisdom, and it's called absorption here, which I, I guess that's where you, it's it's kind of like realization too. I was, I was raised, um, it was called realization is, but it's the, it's the same um, idea. Um, the next one is Bodhisattva. And this means disciple of the Buddha. And it's a state where people have strong concern for others, which ultimately helps them to overcome their challenges. So sort of, you know, helping lift other people up and um, being mindful of other people, you know, recognizing the, um, you know, us as one, you know, kind of mindset. Um, and then on the top of it is Buddhahood, which is the ultimate state to be in, as it includes compassion, wisdom, and humaneness. And 
at any moment in time throughout our day or out our lives, you know, we can be in any one of these worlds. So this is one of those are some of the principles that, you know, I've um, been taught growing up. Um, so, yeah. So it's cool that they had that on there. Just like, you know, whenever you read something that uh, that you have been taught before, it's like, oh, cool, validation. <laughs> right. And yeah. I like how, um, kind of like what you were saying, how you can be, pretty much you don't have to wait until you die to experience the quote-unquote yes. afterlife. And that's something I like to, um, in doing research on various religions and spiritual practices I like to see the commonalities between like the things that are similar and the things that are different so I know one of the things that I have come into um, is seeing that you know every religion is going to have its sacred text every religion is going to have its code of ethics every religion is going to have um, its creation story um, but I really like their I really like this um, this perception of afterlife and like how you don't have to wait until you die because I feel like the afterlife is one of those things that you know we think about a lot but we try not to think about it too much I guess it depends on um, your spiritual beliefs and your religious beliefs but I know for example in Christianity you know there's heaven there's hell and damn it you don't find out where you go until you know <laughs> right until you know it's a little bit too late so I like this because it's like one, there's more, it's not a binary, uh, heaven or hell. It's more gray area, or I don't like how, I don't like gray area, but there's more, um, there's more variety and kind of like what you were saying, how you can, like anger, you can experience that being alive, um, and I guess I'm just trying to think of it. I have to do more research on it myself. And then animality. I've ne I've never heard of that term before. So I know I definitely want to go back and do more research on that term. Just because just from looking at how it's spelled. Is it spelled A-N-I-M-A-L-I-T-Y? Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go and look that up. That that looks like a very intriguing very interesting word. I'm gonna have to go and look that one up, but I really like um, how that's broken down. And thank you so much for breaking that down too and having um, those resources available. So, another question I had because I wasn't sure. Well, actually, before I get into that, so Buddhahood, would you say that that is enlightenment? Yeah, so in, in the context of um, yeah, in the context of um, what's being discussed here in terms of um, Buddhahood, like conceptually, like, yeah, that's enlightenment. Um, but the, the thing is, is that it's um, something that has to be sustained. It's not like, um, you know, like I've climbed a mountain, you know, and made it to the top and I, and, you know, here I'll remain, you know, as long as we're on earth. Um mm -hmm where we're sort of, you know, tethered by everything that happens around us. Um, you know, our, our mood shifts, our, our bodies, you know, change, you know, people, you know, who are close to us pass. I mean, this stuff changes us and it's, mm -hmm. it's nearly impossible for us to, you know, stay in a 
in a state of enlightenment, um, you know, while all this stuff is happening around us and happening to us. Right. So, right. Which I, I just wanted to, to state there because um, I think sometimes in the context of enlightenment, we think that, you know, this is something that you've, you've, this is a status that you've reached and, and now, you know, you're, you're a different being or different person. Well, yes and no, it's like something to be maintained. You can be in the state of Buddhahood one moment and um, maybe anger the next, you know, because something mm. interrupts you. So, so yeah, yeah. And yeah, as long as we're human, you know, these are the phases that we can go through throughout the day and throughout our lives. Thank you so much for explaining that. I was definitely one of those people that thought that enlightenment was it. Like once you reach enlightenment, then, you know, like you can't go back. Um, you can't go back to anger or tranquility or hell. You know, I thought once you reach enlightenment or in this case, Buddhahood, that that's it. Um, but I like that too. The fact that you can um, become enlightened and then, you know, you can be struggling in this area. And then it's like, you have to, built back um, mm -hmm. to to enlightenment wow that is so interesting okay i don't want to dwell on that too long so we yeah that was no problem yeah. okay um so then my next question does nichu nichu shoshu buddhism mm -hmm. believe in a higher power yeah so i so one of the things is let me get this ready here. And then uh, just while you do that, I'll just uh, give the audience a little context. So I know if you guys listened to a previous episode, I was kind of going back and forth with myself with trying to figure out if how I would categorize Buddhism because, you know, um, some religion, some religions are polytheistic. Some religions are monotheistic. Some religions are atheistic. So when it came to me doing research on Buddhism, I asked this question to try to see if there is belief in a higher power. Is there a name? And then again, if there's belief in a higher power, how many are there? Because I know, again, in doing research in other religions, you know. I've seen that there's multiple gods and goddesses and deities. And then even in that, you know, some of these uh, gods, they aren't, it's like, hmm, it's almost like a disciple. Mm -hmm. um, almost like a disciple, but. I, it's hard because I don't like to use the wrong verbiage um, right. but it's like you know one religion would have multiple gods and within having their multiple gods they would have like the ultimate god so then it's like not saying that the other gods aren't gods it's just that you know it's like levels to it right yeah so I think uh, I, I hear what you're saying um, I had to think about it myself because I do, um, you know, especially given what everything, what what's going on, you know, today with um, um, the virus and everything, I have been um, being more prayerful 
and like chanting throughout the day with my mom. Um, and so actually we chant to, um, yeah, we, we have what's called a busadon, which I guess you can describe that as um, sort of like an altar that has mm-hmm. like an inscription inside of it, a scroll. So we actually chant to um, we we chant to a scripture or a text or like uh, to say that in 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 a, in a way. So like I know in other versions of Buddhism you have like shrines or you have like um, you kind of have other um, symbolic um, ornaments or um or statuettes that you might see people like bowing or praying to um we don't mm-hmm. do that yeah what we what we chant to is is more so like a more so like a scripture um and we do have um what's called i guess what you would say are like gods but they are more so like previous practitioners um okay. yeah um so I guess I've never thought of it in terms of, well, I'm talking. So there is like a higher power, but it's mm-hmm. a little difficult for me to um, conceptualize um, because like I, I, I think in my head of like Buddha or even actually I, I'll say God, you know, a lot um, mm-hmm. in my head or out loud just because I think, you know, this the higher power, the um, the sort of like energy that exists out in the universe that, you know, we all exude from is like the same source. So if I think of like God or Buddha or anything like that, I think of the same thing. Um, so uh, I'm sorry, I, you know, I'm still no, learning myself too. So yeah. So I, I think it's more so like we, we do believe in a higher power, but like mm-hmm. to to like physically put um I guess like uh like um because like I don't I don't know because like in other religions like you have you know you have a cross or you might have Jesus and that's you know what you pray to if you're Christian. Right. Um, different statuettes for like different Buddhist practices and you know, the Hindus have, have, you know, things like that. We don't really have like an embodiment that we pray to that's like a God. Like we literally pray to like an inscription. So it's a little, a little different. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I'm happy that you, uh, thank you again for clarifying that too. Cause I know, um, and I'm just speaking from personal experience. Like, I know I didn't know too much about Buddhism. Like, I know I've read, you know, um, little snippets about the religion, uh, you know, just from going to school and stuff. But I, I was curious to know if um, if there was or if there is a higher power. Because I know, like, a lot of people assume that, oh, you know, a lot of people assume that all Buddhists pray to Buddha and it's just you know one of those things where it's like you want to explain things to people so they can understand it better um, rather than making assumptions and I just want to thank you thank you for clearing 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 that up thank you you. Um, so then this kind of 
jumps around a little bit. Um, but I heard you mention that you chant to a scripture. So where would you say, uh, would you say that Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism uh, has a sacred text? Yeah, so you have like, um, I guess what would be akin to like your Bible or your Quran in the form of, a, it's, it's called a Gosho. Um, mm-hmm. And so these are like the the writings of of, of the Buddha um, to teach us different things relating to different um, different concepts and different things that we can learn about um, spirituality, th- different things that we can learn about karma. Um, karma is actually uh, a really big thing, and um, one of the things that I just do want to say about like the study of the religion. Mm-hmm is that um, it's like we chant in Japanese and um, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, you know, so everything needs to get sort of like translated. And so some of the literature isn't always like easy to like study or easy to like look at. And it's um, Mm. more so like one of those you like, learn by doing and you feel it by doing um and the whole study part of it is like it's it's kind of like you know it's kind of like a little little separate so um like the study part of it um definitely takes some work and time to do um but yeah so like what's called the go show is actually um something like akin to like what you would learn more about the um the practice in terms of the habits and things like that. Um, and a big thing about the practice is that you have karma. And so we're taught that, you know, that we have karma based on what's what we've done, um, you know, previously in this life and also in our past lives. So the whole idea is that we've, we're at this point in time now in this existence to, um, you know, alleviate some of the bad karma that's accumulated um, in our past lives and uh, learn how to sort of convert that into into good karma, uh, which is something like good fortune um, in this life so that we can sort of like elevate. Um, and that's the whole idea behind karma. So it's about, you know, how do you identify that? And it comes through like self-actualization um, it's a very like internal practice, but like karma is a big part of it too. I'm sorry, I'm listening. I'm just writing at the same time. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, I'm gonna have to write my notes. So I'll go back and do some research on some more stuff because I, mm-hmm. I I just love learning and I love finding out about um, different cultures and different religions and faiths and everything and I at the same time I feel like when it comes to um like I know for example karma is one of those things that we a lot of people say and I feel like it's also one of those things where it's like we say it but um we don't fully understand it so I'm happy that you broke that down and explaining um what karma is and also that you mentioned how the writings from the go show um because i know you said that you chant in japanese Mm -hmm. and basically saying that the um the scripture that 
you chant to and that you reference is in another language and speaking to that because I feel like when it comes to like translating things to another language sometimes things get lost along the way and not just in religion you know in a lot of things you know whether if it's political um agricultural um anything really I feel like it can be lost when um there's a language barrier Ah, mm-hmm. oh, I feel like I have a question but I'm trying to figure out how I want to word it um Hmm. I don't know how I want to word it. Uh, maybe it'll come back to me later. But thank you again for explaining that because I feel like that's something that we don't really think about much. Uh, so I guess this is more so of like a opinionated question. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that some of the hmm some of the practices or even some of the chants so to speak may have gotten lost from this language barrier within Nichu Ren Shoshu Buddhism so I say for example um, if you go to a town in Japan and they're practicing Nichu I'm sorry Nichu Ren Shoshu Buddhism Mm -hmm. and the way that they may practice one thing may be different than a way that American Nichu Ren Shoshu Buddhist practice it, do you think that something like that could happen because of a language barrier? Um, that's a good question. Um, the practice itself is supposed to be uniform. So, I mean, the way we practice here is um, supposed to be just like it's done, how it's done anywhere else in the world. You know, everybody's okay. like, everybody's chanting in the same language, you know, no matter if you're chanting in America or uh, Ghana or um, wherever else we have temples. Um, it, there's sort of that uniformity. Now, um, and this is something I want to, like, make sure that we get into. Um, mm-hmm. But I think where things get lost in translation is not exactly the practice part of it, because that's so mm-hmm. uniform. Uh, I think the study portion of it, the part where you mm-hmm. really have people understand uh, what's written in the Gosho, the practice itself, you know, what it's meant for, can get lost in translation. Because to be honest, all of our clergy people are Japanese. So, um it, it, it makes a little bit, it makes it hard, um, yeah, especially from my experience, um, for sometimes for there to be that aspect of relatability um, when it comes to, um, you know, speaking with the youth. You know, it's, uh, it's you know, the experiences, you know, of a Japanese person who came up through the temple learning the doctrines and, you know, being uh, just the, the whole culture shift, the whole, um, you know, the, the whole upbringing and, you know, having to come to America, to Chicago to speak, you know, to people here, it's uh, mm-hmm. it can be difficult, you know, they have to move right. here, they have to learn the language and they have to connect with the members of the temple. Um, so in that aspect, like, I would really wish that, you know, we had, you know, you know, priests and clergy people who were African-American, at least, or, you know, 
even even white or Hispanic or just you know just you know um kind of be from here like I I don't mind that don't get me wrong I don't mind that they're like coming from a different culture but sometimes it makes it difficult to like reach the person you know what I mean right reach the people that you're you're trying to teach and, and lead and follow so um that is one thing I, so in terms of that like the actual teaching of the of the study of the practice I think is it, it's a little difficult kind of complicated hmm. yeah I'm so happy that you explained that I feel like I've been saying that a lot but like I feel like these are things that we need this is the kind of context and these are the kinds this is the kind of history this is the context these are the explanations that we need when it comes to talking about things such as when it comes to talking about complex things such as religion and um I also like that you said that because again you know I'm I'm not a Buddhist but for those who are who want to learn more about the religion and find out more it's nice to have that context so they kind of understand how it works and I also like that you mentioned that a lot of the clergy are Japanese I definitely want to ask you more questions about that um as we get a little bit more into the questions but thank you so much for explaining that um did I cut you off on anything I feel like you were going to explain something else no I'm 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 good I'm good. I feel okay. like we'll we'll get there, you know. Okay. As we okay. go. Okay. So my next question. How long has your mom been Buddhist? Has she been Buddhist all her life? So no. Um and actually she's very much um into learning different I guess different um I guess different ways of spirituality about different religions. She came up Christian and I want to okay. say, I want to say Presbyterian um, because I know that's, um, that's the kind of church my uh, grandmother um, belonged to. Um, so I, I want to say that they were brought up that way. And, um, you know, even I, I went to Catholic school um, too so you know it's it's very hard to um be separate from christianity um mm-hmm. in this country in general um yes. and it's it's magnified even more as um someone from the south side of chicago where you know you go a block or two in any direction and you could find a church um and it's even more magnified as a black person you know, um, mm-hmm. so all those, you know, all those factors, you know, the church has always had the infrastructure as a place of gathering, um, as a place to, um, you know, we'll go to like food pantries or like sometimes community events. It's like there's no, um, you know, getting away from the church as an institution for, you know, any uh, any black um, upbringing. At least that's been my experience. And, mm-hmm. you know, even with my mom being Buddhist and sort of like, you know, raised to chant and uh, go to the uh, our temple and stuff like, you know, that's still like a part of our lives. Um, so, yeah, she came up um, Christian, you know, studying the Bible and things like that. And, you know, she even 
thinks of that as a good thing because of the sort of values that, you know, a, a good church, you know, you know, you mm-hmm. have to be uh, um, discreet about saying that because, you know, you, you can have a, a good teaching, good practice, but, you know, the people that um, are expounding it, you know, have to be right, you know, and right. um, be for the best interests of of the people that, you know, they're helping and things like that. Um, so yeah, she came up that way and, uh, you know, through the church and she found this religion herself. I want to say, uh, it's been going on 30 years. I I know at the very least for, um, all of my life and I'm 24. So, but I think, I think, um, it's been about 30 years since she found this practice and, um, she's been doing it ever since. Yeah. That's awesome. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. <laughs> um, so why do you think she, and I don't even want to say chose, but why do you think your mom chose Buddhism? Like what, what do you think intrigued her about Buddhism? Mm, well, you know, yeah, I feel like she's told me, but knowing her and knowing just how she is, I think one of the big draws to her was sort of this is an internal practice. This is, you know, like a a self-actualization that you go through um, Mm -hmm. when you practice Buddhism. And I feel like in other belief systems, it just wasn't doing it so much for her. Um, mm-hmm. it's, in some ways, other belief systems can be hierarchical or have a hierarchy, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and so, um, what was the word she's using? Sometimes the language used by, um, uh, clergy or, uh, other practitioners can be condemning, you know? If you don't do this like this, you'll get condemned and you'll go to hell or, you know, you can't yeah. act this way. You, you know what I mean? I feel, yeah, I feel like you get what I mean. Um, yeah. So just something not as judgmental, but also something that focused really on um, finding that self-enlightenment. I think that was a big draw to her. And um you know, after coming up through the church, I guess she, uh, you know, she took that next step to look for something different. Hmm. I feel like I have more questions, but I have to do more research before I start asking my questions. But I like that you mentioned that, um, especially the self-realization piece, because I feel like, um, and that you mentioned the condemning, because I know exactly what you're speaking about when it comes to uh, at least when it comes to Christianity, I know that's one of the things I've always had an issue with when it comes to Christianity. I don't like that a lot of people can be judgmental. Um, and I don't like that it's so, like, I understand, you know, if you have your belief, you believe your beliefs are right or are the truth and all that. But I don't like that um, a lot of Christians are it's like they talk down on other faiths mm-hmm. and other religions. And it's, I guess in some ways it can't, in some ways it is disrespectful too. It is. Um, 
and I know one of the things that I didn't like, you know, like, I feel like it is the condemning, you know, oh, you're going to hell and oh, well, you're doing, it's just one of those things where it's like, how can you make that call? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, you're not God, you know, and at the same time, right. you know, who are you? Like, who the hell are you, you know? Uh, and I feel that God is so complex and mm-hmm. I don't feel that I feel like because God is so complex the fact that we even have religions is almost a way of boxing in God but that's a whole nother conversation um, but yeah I feel like religions you know each hold a piece to God um, mm-hmm. and I feel like they can each teach us so much and it's hard for people to learn from other cultures. It's hard for people to, even if you want to learn more about Buddhism and you don't want to practice it or you don't want to believe it for yourself, it's okay to learn from it, you know? And I feel like it's very hard to learn when your cup is already full and when you're refusing mm-hmm. to to learn, you know, when you're being judgmental. And I feel like a lot of times it's hard for people to learn about things in a religious or learn about more things in a religious aspect because of fear you know because they have been condemned and because they're afraid you know I know I've heard growing up in church oh you start questioning God you're going to hell oh you start doing this you're going to hell I was like damn it's a lot of stuff I, I can do to go to hell like right. okay, where's the wisdom <laughs> going to heaven you know like it, and then it's like when you're trying to learn I don't feel like that's necessarily meaning that you're damn to hell but you know right you know just for for questioning you know right like Like if you don't ask questions you won't learn right like you said you you have you have an attraction to things that have more of a gray area so it's not just good or bad you know what are the what are the circumstances in which this person is you know trying to exist and then, you know, who are we to, you know, ultimately be that that judge, you know, like you're saying. So if you're if you're trying to like and, and one of the things that like is so liberating, liberating is to, you know, just tell yourself it's OK, you know, and to not have to just and to not have to just um uh, what's 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 the word? I guess just um, you know, it's it, everything is not always so strict. You know, when you're when you're seeking, when you're trying to learn, when you're trying to, you know, better yourself or like understand. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot. I think, I mean, I would like to believe that God is not a entity that you know is is blindly condemning people. Um, you know, for not being an ideal, you know, right. an ideal example or whatever that looks like, you know, that, you know, people are trying to say that they're going to aspire to, you know. Hmm. Mm. I definitely, definitely agree. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's, it's, it's just, <sighs> man 
man, don't get me started. <laughs> um, go but, off, <laughs> do right? Because I'll I'll keep going. I'll keep going. That's the problem. I'll just keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, so I always like to see how when especially when it comes to like uh me conversing with black other black people um who do who do um believe in faiths outside of christianity because i know that christianity has had such a strong hold on black americans and maybe that's because like christianity is one of those faiths that's like it's woven into the United States in a very intricate way. Um, but I always like to see how other um, black people have, what their experiences have been like when, um, when walking in different faiths outside of Christianity. So I know you mentioned that your mom grew up with a Presbyterian background uh, and that that runs in your family as well. Mm-hmm. So from your experience, can you say that you've experienced any sort of clashing between both religions being Presbyterian and um, Nichu Ren Shoshu Buddhism? Mm, yeah, well, um, yeah, a lot comes to mind, um, especially um, within the context of, you know, why we practice what we practice. Um sort of piecing things together now like well my dad he he's not like really active in a church or anything but he would be more so aligned with um like catholicism um you know he, he, he'll have his his rosary and sometimes you know he'll he'll pray and that goes for um you know other people in my dad's side of the family you know more so coming from a catholic background and um I mean, we Creole, so like you know, our family, you know, my or my dad's side, we were from like Louisiana, and if you know about like sort of the history down there, there's like a big French mm-hmm. influence, which is where the Catholicism comes from, and so you go all the way back there, and then come all the way through, and you see, you know, how that comes into play. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like being conscious of why these things, you know, exist here. Um, I've always, one of the things that kind of drives me crazy a little bit about religion is that like I've always grown up questioning or having like a dissonance with um, sort of who I am because of um, the practice, you know, that I that I come from or was raised with. You know, it's sometimes mm-hmm. I'll like honestly like a fraud or like just an outsider or outlier in Christian spaces because I wasn't completely that, you know. And this is going back to like childhood and stuff where it's like, you know, kids are the religion that they are because of their parents, you know, that's what they know and they, you know, they fall in line right. with that. And with me coming up, you know, with uh, conscious of, you know, two different kinds of, of religions and practices, there were spaces that I felt like I didn't necessarily belong. And I mean, 
you know, this is a lot of people's experience growing up, but I feel like I had issues with like self-esteem growing up. So like a lot of times we uh, internalize the labels that are put on us. So understanding that, you know, I was, you know, different quote unquote in a way from like, by like being uh Buddhist, you know, I didn't always feel comfortable in like other spaces, um, which I was in a lot. given that I went to Catholic school growing up. Um, a lot of my extracurricular activities came through the church. Uh, I mean, I learned how to play an instrument through um, Salvation Army, which has like a big church um, in the Inglewood community. And so when I was, you know, learning music over there or like playing sports over there, um, I just sometimes felt this disconnect because like the center's primary focus primary function was as a church so I didn't always feel like you know I belonged if that makes sense um because that's that's mm -hmm. just been you know my experience and then you know even being outside of um because I I didn't stay in Catholic school throughout my whole life I went to public school um you know being in other spaces with other kids other black kids primarily you know you'd hear things like oh i can't believe like you're a buddhist like you know people are like you know like i don't know like you know like you know christian is the thing to be so like oh like you know it's a shame you see people like leaving right. the practice nowadays and things like that and you know um so you know people would people would say stuff like other kids would say stuff like that and um you know, you, sometimes you just internalize it. Um, so some, and sometimes, you know, when we, I don't know, like, um, I know it's, it's, it's sounding like I'm going on, on a tangent a little bit, but like, this is the first time, like, I'm really going to to like talk about it, but, um, you know, I would always complain, you know, like, well, Christians only have to practice on Sundays and we have to practice every day. Like, that's kind of crazy because <laughs> uh, we have to do we have to do prayer in the morning and in the evening every day. Um, and sometimes mm -hmm. when, you know, we things get busy, we have to leave the house um, before we can actually take the time and do, go out and do prayer. My mom's very much like before we do anything in the day, we have to pray at first. So sometimes we're on the bus praying or we're in the car praying or on praying in like public spaces. And I was always very uncomfortable because <laughs> I, I sometimes just on my mind, it's like, OK, what if somebody thinks, you know, uh, it's, it's it was a hard thing. But, you know, like mm -hmm. what if somebody thinks we're like terrorists or like, you know, some other, you know, like dumb, just preconceptions. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly the way to put it. Like, what if someone just thinks we're, like, you know, practicing witchcraft or something else and, you know, they try to do harm to us? Like, you know, and sort of having that fear and shame, you know, practicing in public places, mm -hmm. sometimes we had to do yeah. because, you know, it's time to go. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely grew up with those thoughts mm. in mind and, um, kind of a dissonance like I always had to know who I was in relation to this because you know it felt like everybody else you know grew up knowing what they were 
you know, supposed to practice. And, you know, I came up, you know, learning Mm -hmm. about Catholicism and being in churches and things like that, but also um, sort of practicing Buddhism at home. So there was like a dissonance that I've always had. I'm so happy that you spoke on that because I feel like um, in a society, um, because I grew up Christian. I don't know. I I, I can be honest. I'm going to be honest. Let <laughs> no you know. problem. I don't know which denomination. I just know it was Christian. <laughs> oh, I know it wasn't Catholicism. I don't think it was Baptist, but I just know it was, it was, it was a branch of Christianity. Um, but I like that you spoke on your dissonance and having that because I feel like when you grow up with a Christian background or with Christian faith, these are things that you don't really have to think about, you know, because your religion is being taught in schools and it's, it's a part of schools, you know, like I remember, so I went to Catholic schools for a minute too. And I remember how Mm -hmm. we always had mass on Thursdays or on Wednesdays and we'll have mass, you know, before we had school Um, or even in high school, we'll have mass, like we'll go to our homeroom, then we'll have mass. And that'll be like once a month or something like that. But even then, like, you know, it's taught, it's in the schools and a lot of people coming from different religious backgrounds don't have that privilege and not only that like I do and that's another reason why I wanted to do this series because I too have noticed that a lot of people especially kids <laughs> who are not kids who are I wouldn't be a kid sick, <laughs> not, um, adults not from our, <laughs> I'm just saying you know people like I'm grown girl I'm grown the real girl. adults laughing at us um, <laughs> but a lot of um right (laughs) a lot of young adults coming from our generation like I feel like one of the things that we have noticed is that especially when it comes to Christianity because I've I've I talk to a lot of people about these things all the time um is that it can be very condemning and very judgmental and not only that it's not something that is welcoming to everyone and I feel like Cause I can hear old head right now. Was not supposed to be welcome <laughs> to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like it was something that you said that really spoke to me, and I'm trying to think what was it. Um, I don't know, but maybe it was just you explaining your dissonance and just thinking and reflecting about that about your experience and then also thinking of my own experiences growing up so I know for me um I grew up Christian background um I always went to church especially as a kid um when I stayed with my great-grandparents we will always go to church every Sunday morning and then um when it was me and my mom like Sometimes we'll go to church on Sundays. We kind of had moments where we were going to church a lot and then moments where we weren't going to church so much. So like we'll have ways we're going to church more often. If we're going to church more often, we would go to church on Sundays, on Wednesdays. And we had a food pantry we was doing on Thursdays. So we was doing a lot with the church. Um, We weren't going to church so much. We'll just go to church sporadically, you know, occasionally on Sundays. And um, I haven't, been I'm not gonna say I haven't been exposed to different religions I feel like I have I just never took the time to practice 
it myself or study it myself and find out more but it has it has been one of those things that I've always wanted to learn more about um but what was the point of me saying all that mm -hmm. I don't know I guess just to kind of speak yeah. I know you spoke on your experience I just want to speak on my experience a little bit too and again just to elaborate on you speaking on your dissonance because I feel like religion is one of those things and I feel like this is the reason speak your like piece that's all right it, but um I feel like this is one of the right thank you thank you um people are stepping away from religion I think it's also because one of, it's one of those things where religion mm. is seen as a control system and it's all it's also one of those things where it's like some people see religion as a structure that tells mm. you who to be how to be and I feel like it's one of those things where it's almost like it's mm. controlling the way that you think the way that you see things the way that you receive things and I feel like people are getting to a point to not I'm not gonna say everyone is but some people are yes. getting to a point to where they want to define things for themselves so rather than being told this is who you are this is what you believe this is how you do it I feel like people are in a space where they're like okay well this is who I mm -hmm. am you know pretty much controlling their own no, I, I definitely hear what you're saying you know like uh, it shouldn't be like a one-size-fits-all mentality where, like, it disregards your own experiences right. and stuff like that. Right, right. And that's the thing, too, like, with times changing, society changing, like, some areas of religion do seem outdated and are outdated um and some things needs need to be modified but again that's a whole nother conversation um so when you when you did experience the clashing between your faiths what would you do to navigate through that like how would you usually try to get through that did you and i i feel like this is probably a bit of a loaded question but i know like Sometimes when it comes to Christianity, like in my, I feel like I'm saying like a lot in my experience, if you were Christian, there was, there was pre pretty much like you can only be Christian. You can't be anything else. So when you would have your experiences where your faiths were clashing, did you feel like you had to side with one more, one faith more so than another or did you were you able to find a way to um to uphold both faiths or um both yeah practices? um or we, how did that we work? cut out for a little bit but I think I got most of what uh of what you asked me um it definitely felt like you know I was I was being made to sort of question things a little bit more you know sometimes when um well, just to just stick down that route, like Buddhism is 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 very it's interesting to me. But like one of the things that made it hard was I felt like you know sort of like having that study portion down to where like you really understand what you are practicing and sort of having you know somebody to talk to. Um, I guess that can teach you more about the practice 
but also like connect with you and talk with you in terms of like what's going on in like your life sort of like that that social worker-esque support type thing it wasn't really existent in our Mm -hmm. in the infrastructure of our of our temple you know um but churches had that so it was like this this weird thing where it it's it wasn't like sort of complete in that way and I, I would see that for the most part in the church you see kids come up through the church um but in our temple for the most part people right. who are there are people who are who are coming to this religion from other religions for the most part people in the in uh, in a part of the mm-hmm. membership or um we call it the hokeiko, but like it just be- means the people that are practicing the religion are um, older adults for the most part who are like coming to find this practice. Um, you know, very few people have like come up as kids and and done this, and I think it's just because sort of the infrastructure for teaching youth was so hard. Um, but it did feel like a lot of the the doctrine and a lot of the rhetoric was in a way that, you know, this is the true teaching and this is what's going to get you towards enlightenment. And, you know, these other practices are it, you know, and it, it, it just felt very much like, um, you know, especially when I was having issues um, really accepting the practice and stuff while I was always saying you know well that feels kind of arrogant to you know feel like you know this is the the true teaching and stuff like that and you know that's where I was coming from you know as a kid and um it it just it felt like it felt a little hard and maybe some of that pressure was unforced um explicitly like my mom like she wasn't explicitly like well, maybe maybe went a little bit when I was when I was younger, but as I got older, you know, it was more of you know, practice what you feel you want to practice, and um, you know, you're free to take time with it. But I guess when I was younger, I I felt more so of of, of that pressure, and it was just because I didn't I didn't understand you know what it meant to uh, you know that I was still free to like learn and things like that. I kind of felt like I, you know, I had to be this. I had to fit into this box, you know, when I was in both spaces too. So, right, it wasn't anything that was avert that was really, really forced upon to me. But like, I always just felt like I had to be in this role or be in that role, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in those different spaces. I don't know. Like, I feel like society. Um, pressures us to conform to a variety of things and sometimes you know we conform without consciously knowing Um, but I feel like one of the things that can be conforming is religion you know kind of like the boxing that you were referring to when you were talking about it you know how you have to fit in this box and you have to if you're this then mm-hmm. you can't be that if you believe this then you can't believe that if you follow this then you can't you know um and then it's always a binary component um yeah actually what you what you said 
thanks for thanks for bringing that up it's like you know you have to like you can't do this and that um one of the ways that you know my my mom would say this and um i guess other people in the faith is that you don't want to mix like religions or mixed teachings because it's like it's like creating a poison is is like how they would describe it you know if you mix the teachings together you know um you're mixing medicine with poison or something like that and so yeah something particularly um graphic like that kind of like sticks with you and so the pressure to to know what to follow sort of mounts a little bit and it's probably not something that uh was super right. intentional but uh but yeah you know um and so that and that's one other thing reason why i feel like it was so difficult for um for younger people to like really engage with the with the um with the practice you know um yeah when things kind of get when things are like that heavy-handed sometimes things do get lost in translation and so that's why to bring back to you know what i was mentioning before like i wish you had more people in the clergy who were um at least american but you know i'd I'd love you know for you know someone you know black woman black man to like expand more on that uh, more on the practice uh, we do have like study group leaders and uh your coordinators who like work with the um with the priesthood at the uh particular temple uh, like they do do that um but yeah it's it's just mm-hmm. it's yes yeah, it's, it's interesting you know um you know how sort of how that in it in a way works um and i don't know if i mentioned this but like it's it's a very it's a this is a sect of buddhism um and it's it's a very small one and actually um was i looked it up on wikipedia um just to like i guess see what the internet kind of thinks of the practice and stuff like that and it's saying that there is there's seven seven hundred ninety thousand members of the practice, so it's not a very big practice at all, and um, we only have six Nichiren Shoshu temples in the United States. Um, so like, oh. we just happen to live really close to one, and you know it's it's strategic. Um, I guess where they where they put these, so it makes sense for there to be one in in Chicago to have something in a populous area in the Midwest. Um, but like our temple was supposed to serve people in Tennessee and Minnesota, and we were temple was supposed to sixteen states. Um, yeah, as a wow. gathering place of worship, and you know. People what can't the get heck? there every Sunday. Um, but, you know, sometimes for, like, the major ceremonies and right. events, like, that's when you really see the temple packed. Um, but, yeah, and, like, for example, like, you're in Charlotte. So you're, if you were a member of the practice, 
your temple would actually be in New York in Flushing. You know, so so it's 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 a it's wow. a small practice. So in, in some ways, it's it's hard when the infrastructure to teach and 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 um and study uh kind of isn't all the way there. You know, that is insane. Wow. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, it was okay. kind of crazy. My mind is blown. Okay. So you said each yeah. is supposed to serve as 16 <clears throat> states. And see, I feel like the fact that they're so, okay. So do you know if there's any progressions going on within the clergy to try to like, I, to increase that number? I'm, to get more so I'm not, or? I'm not sure. I mean, I know at least I haven't been to any of the other temples, but I know they take up a lot of space. And actually, well, yeah, well, we say Chicago, but it's actually in the okay. in the suburbs. Um, it's about uh, hour to hour fifteen minute drive um, that we we take, um, and so it kind of requires a lot of space. Um, it looks like most of the temples are built like that, whereas you know other okay. other places of worship can kind of be different sizes. Um, I haven't heard anything. I'm not really an active person in the practice right now. Like I pretty much, I'll pray with my mom and and that's really it. I don't really, um, don't really still engage with other people in the practice and stuff like that. But yeah, I haven't heard of that sort of expansion. What I will say is that um, we haven't, or at least our our Chicago temple hasn't had like a consistent priest for a while. Like the past like ten fifteen years, we've had like eight or nine different priests like head the temple. So people were kind of coming in and out. So and honestly, for different reasons, they'll leave. You know, if they're like needed back in Japan or like. They want to. They want. Um, they want people to go. They want that specific priest or assistant priest to go to a different temple. They'll have to transfer stuff like that. Um, and so it's kind of um, hard to get insight on how the expansion of the religion is working um, in that aspect. Like for example, like um, mm-hmm. I know. I think we have a temple in Ghana, and I know that because um, one of our old assistant priests used to be the assistant priest in Ghana. And that temple would serve, like every Sunday, they would have about 6,000 people come to that temple. Yeah, and so people will take, you know, buses, um, just commuting in different ways. And, you know, the, the culture is so much different there in Ghana compared to, you know, Chicago, where, you know, I want to say what I was getting from the assistant previous when he was right. talking about it, you know, people were very excited, very, um, very, I don't know, joyous about making the trip to that Ghana temple, you know, compared to us in America where, you know, we, you know, we have cars, we have access to good transportation. It's like, um, yeah, getting there is a journey, but it's not as 
uh, emotionally inducing as, you know, taking a trip from different parts of the country to go to this place of worship. So you can imagine it's right. very different. It's a very different experience, um, you know, leading uh, a Okeko group in uh, there compared to here. And I don't know why there's been such a revolving door of different people coming in and out of our temple, but that's just kind of how it's been. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's always been six temples like throughout my growing up and now. So that's insane. Six temples across the United States of America. There's wow. That is so crazy. But I feel like that also speaks to, you know, um, like if you grow up with a certain faith and your faith isn't popular or if it's not commonly practiced, you have inconveniency inconveniences such as these. That is so yeah. interesting. Oh well another thing that's wow. <laughs> another thing that's Man, that's interesting is well. that we actually so there was like a split in the faith um, in the 90s. There's a there's another organization that's basically they also practice the Eternal Shoshu, but they no longer follow the head temple in terms of. The, so I, I should have mentioned this. So the head temple is in Japan um, at the base of Mount Fuji. And so they're kind of like the mm -hmm. example for how we practice so you know they set the goals you know how many how many people are we gonna you know tell about the practice in in Chicago how many people are we gonna tell about the practice in New York you know how often should we practice just um the guidances um things like that that comes from like the head temple and in the 90s there was a split between the the main sect or like what what my mom practices and another one called um and I, I'm just gonna say the acronym I'm not gonna say the whole thing it stands for but uh, SGI um our members will just call it the organization <laughs> kind of like yeah they just like sort of split off and did their own thing but they do technically practice Nietzsche and Shoshu Buddhism. Uh, they just don't follow the head temple. And they actually have a temple mm -hmm. um, uh, 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> so it would be much closer to go there than to go all the way out to oh, wow. our temple. But you know, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't follow the other group. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so crazy. It's like, you know, they're pretty much downtown Chicago it would take no time for us to get there but nope we take an hour and 15 minute trip out to our temple <laughs> so yeah that is yeah <laughs> man that is insane I have more questions but I'm gonna save those I'm gonna save those for for later on um okay so my next question it speaks to your mom's experiences and I feel like you touched on it a little bit and talking about the clergy um, and just explaining how 
hard it can be to get to your temple. But in my research, some of the common themes I found was Buddhism not being inclusive to black and brown people, especially black women. Can you say if your mom has had any experience? Yeah, the interesting thing is actually, I would say most of our congregation are people of color or are black people in particular. Um, Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a small religion, but something that's interesting is that, yeah, like a lot of our, Mm -hmm. our Chicago temple, I don't know about the other ones, are black. Um. And so I've never seen a barrier to entry in terms of that, in terms of being a practitioner. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I would say mostly Black. You have a, f- a few white people, a few Asian people. But yeah, for the most part, in our congregation, at least, there's been a lot of um, Black practitioners, which I, I can't even tell you why. But it's uh, maybe it's because of Tina Turner, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm happy that I like that you said that, too, because that's something I didn't know. Um, and then another thing that I because I kind of answered this question uh, in a previous episode, but I was asking how would Buddhism, not Buddhism, but how would Buddha um respond to oppression or how would he see oppression and what I got from it Mm -hmm. was him seeing it as a form of suffering and what I was saying was that you know we all experience this suffering and we feel this suffering we spend our lives trying to get out of it trying to end it so do you feel that or can you agree with that statement um that Buddha may also see oppression as a form of suffering? Yeah, I I mean, definitely. Um, I'm going to read off from what I found on here in a little bit, but just knowing what I know about in this this life, it's it's, it's a little interesting to, like, talk about it this way because, like, we're all human, but I, I think that the way that the practice sees it is that in this lifetime, we're human beings. So while it is possible for us to experience things like enlightenment and learning and realization, um, because we're human, you know, we can't escape things like suffering. Um, we, we can't. And in fact, yeah, it's, it functions mm-hmm. as a tool that suffering it functions as a tool for us to um, for us to understand our karma, you know, our you know understand you know what our mission is in this life, you know why certain things sort of uh, why why we're seeing we're seeing certain patterns in our life and how to like mitigate that kind of thing, and you can't address that karma without suffering. And and so they would, and so I think the Buddha would say, like, to be human is to suffer. So we have this, we have, uh, you know, oppression that happens, um, you know, and that happens racially, it happens in terms of class, it happens in terms of um, um, the other factors like plagues and, and illnesses and stuff like that. Like this, this is stuff that, you know, is kind of like 
unavoidable um, and that suffering is a part of it. Um, I'm going to read a little bit off of, this is the booklet from the Nichiren Shoshu website. It talks about like, what is Buddhism? So I think it kind of ties into what you're asking uh, about suffering. Um, it says Buddhism is a religion that was established by Shakyamuni Buddha, who lived in India nearly 30 years ago. So, um, like I, I listened to like an earlier podcast that that you had about Buddhism. So this is still this still recognizes that Buddhism came from India, mm-hmm. although like Nichiren Shoshu um, comes from Japan. So did and those you know like the source of Buddhism comes from mm-hmm. India and it comes from Shakyamuni, like you had mentioned before. Um, he observed people suffering as a result of the inevitable cycles. And so he has this thing about um, our cycle of life. So no matter what race you are, what gender, what your social status is, everybody goes through birth, old age, sickness, and death. So there's a lot of things that happen in between, but <laughs> everybody, no matter who you are, will have those four experiences. And so in searching for the means to alleviate that mm-hmm. suffering, he realized through his religious practices that life is impermanent and subject to change. Yet at the core of existence is something eternal and immutable, the eternal law of life or the law of causality. And so that kind of ties into to, to karma, because um, uh, you might have heard of karma as being described as um, cause and effect. You know, you make a certain cause and then you get something out of it. So that's, that's the law mm-hmm. of um, causality. And it says he clarified this eternity of life and explained the reasons for individual circumstances of our day-to-day lives. And so it talks about how he attained enlightenment after like study and meditation and stuff like that. And um, we'll give you all the resources for this. But this is basically saying, so we get to, we get to the part where he talks about um, the Lotus Sutra here, uh, which the Lotus Sutra is, um, is another like, um, I guess like um, it's like the, it's the teaching. So it's it's these are the teachings that Shakyamuni Buddha has um, sort of um, preached about and also put in writing and stuff like that. This is um, the Lotus Sutra. So then it says Nichiren Daishonin is the true Buddha in the latter day of the law, which is the age in which we now live. So this whole thing with um, Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism is that, you know, this is for our lifetime, like now, like in Shakyamuni's time, there was a certain way to like teach people, but now Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism is for the current time, um, which is to uh, basically, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a time, um, Shoot, I wish I could explain it better, but the practice is the true practice in a sense because it's for this time that we're living in now, which is um, kind of 
how I want to wrap that up. <laughs> so, yeah. So then my next question is, since your mom has, and you as well, since you have practiced Buddhism, how have you felt spiritually? Have you felt any significant spiritual changes? And if that's too personal, you don't have to answer that. You, I totally understand. Um, but do you feel closer to God? Do you feel more tuned with yourself? Um, do you ever experience any doubts or have any confusion? Hmm. Um, and if so, what are those? I have really like? felt like lately first of all this is a really good question because I feel like you you can't really go deep into like any practice without asking yourself that question you know how you know am I getting closer to God how is my spirituality you know becoming more in tune because that's really what it's all about and I'll just say that like you can do all the prayer that you want and all the study that you want, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like the way that you study and the way that you practice is gonna, I guess, reflect in, in how you feel. So if you do like, if you practice with like this whole thing, well, okay, uh, now I gotta get up and do prayer you know, or I have to do this because mm-hmm. it's something because it's something my mom wants me to do, or is it, it's something that you know I feel that I am what's the word um, obligated to do? Like it, it has to come from it has to come from the heart. So you can do all the practicing that you want, but if it's not coming with the right intent, you don't see those results of being um closer to God or like having that elevated spirituality, you know? Um so yeah. I definitely will sometimes because it, it is my routine, you know, I get up, I do prayer and I, I shower, get ready for work. And I feel like I have to do it. Um especially given what's everything that's going on. So it's like I should take the time to think about um what my motivations are for praying and for, you know, what kind of discussions I want to have with, with, uh, with God, um, you know, through prayer, what are some of the things that have been, you know, on my mind and things like that. And just having that sense of clarity. Like I definitely feel like Mm -hmm. a sense of gratitude for everything that I do have um, as of right now. And being prayerful is good mm-hmm. for that sort of thing. Um, but critically thinking about, you know, everything that's that's going on in my life or, like, just asking for where I need to focus is what I end up doing. Um, and that, But I don't always feel like I'll ask for the clarity, but sometimes I don't get the clarity. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, how do I get there, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like I need to do more study, more of that study portion in my life to like really get myself like thinking about those kinds of things, because you have to do that in addition to the practice, you know, so more work needs to be done. 
And I'll just say that, yeah, you can practice all you want, but you have to have the, the, um, the intent in your mind to set out, you know, what you want to achieve from that, you know? Hmm. I like that you said that because I felt, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Like you can't go mm-hmm. into it. You, yeah. Like your, your heart has to be in the right place and your mind has to be in the right place. Well, thank you so much for sharing and for all this amazing information. Okay. Um, we're definitely going to have to do another episode. I know we've been talking for a long time and there's still some more questions I have, especially after listening to you. Um, you know, just talk about your experiences and growing up. And I'm so happy that you thank you again for um doing this with me because you know I feel like that's one of the things that's even more um exciting for the audience you know it's one thing to do research on this stuff but it's even more meaningful when you have expertise when you have someone speaking from a perspective that is a believer um that is a follower you know rather than me trying to find research for me doing research and trying to uh, come up with questions and trying to find answers so thank you so much for speaking on your experience and so your mom (laughs) I said thank you so much I'm sending y'all virtual hugs I really appreciate this thank you thank you thank you um and then maybe for the next episode I don't know you can we could probably just bounce off of each other and ask each other more questions but I love I love this conversation that we had and I just want to tell you I appreciate you having me so much like I've I've really wanted to to like just discuss this um, perspective that I had for like a while, and so I, I just I just love that you know you just provide mm-hmm. this good energy and like a good space to be able to talk about this kind of thing because um, you don't always get that. So I definitely appreciate you a lot and everything that you do and your your um your podcast a lot and the work that you do like I think it's great and um I feel blessed to be able to have this conversation I can't wait to see how this turns out so we're gonna go ahead and wrap things up thank you again Andre for tuning in and joining me on my podcast make sure you guys (laughs) find and follow his podcast right now revelation the podcast Find it right now. Follow it right now. You guys can find and follow his podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Opencast, not Opencast, I'm sorry, Overcast, and Pocket Cast. Find and follow him right now and listen to his most recent episode. <laughs> thank you. Thank I didn't you know again. we were at all. I was on it. all those. I thought it was just um, Anchor and Spotify, but yes, it's on all of those. <laughs> I definitely didn't know all of them, so thank yes. you. That's kind of crazy. Trust me. Yeah, I had to learn it just from saying it all the time in every episode. Anchor, Apple, Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker. And sometimes I'll be having to write them down because I'll be forgetting. But yes, we are on all of those platforms. Make sure y'all find and tune into his podcast right now. Thank you guys for tuning in and for coming to get these spiritual vibrations for your mental stimulation. Y'all have